Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 with me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects and also to provide refresher episodes for practicing architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And this week, I wanted to talk about the new legislation that will be coming into force uh, in the next couple of months um, to do with biodiversity net gain. Uh, And today's episode meets PC3 of the Part 3 criteria. So this policy is coming into force very soon and it will impact planning applications uh, quite significantly. So I thought to give you a breakdown of the impending requirements that will be uh, applicable for most developments to start with. Um, And then uh, additional measures will be, well, the same measures will be put into uh, smaller developments, but I'll um, expand on that later as we go. Um, because you might be, I thought this might be useful because you might be asked um, about it potentially in your interviews um, or even in your exams. Uh, so I thought it would be beneficial for you to be aware uh, of this new legislation um, just to show that you have been aware of what's going on and that you know of the legislation changes coming up. So let's dive into it. And what do we mean when we say biodiversity net gain? So when you hear this term, it refers to the way uh, we contribute to the recovery of nature while developing land, essentially ensuring that the habitat for wildlife is in a better state than it was before the development. So future developments will be required to deliver a minimum of 10% um, biodiversity net gain. Uh, which is additional to existing habitat and species protections. So biodiversity net gain aims to create new habitat and enhance existing ones, ensuring that wildlife is retained and improved. And these requirements will meet the overarching needs of the Environment Act in improving air and water quality, uh, tackling waste, increasing recycling, Uh, halting the decline of species and improving the natural environment. So currently there is an existing policy in place within the national policy framework uh, for planning policies and decisions to to be made to contribute to and enhance the natural and local environment and minimising impact on and providing net gains for biodiversity and so on. Uh, But this is a mandatory at the moment. It's just um, a guideline for best practice. But in order to make uh, biodiversity net gain mandatory to meet the Environmental Act targets, uh, the biodiversity net gain policy will come into effect in November 2023 for all developments in the Town and Country Planning Act 1990, unless for exempt sites, And these include development impacting habitat of an area below a de minimis threshold of 25 square metres or 5 metres for linear habitats such as hedgerows and watercourses. Also, householder applications and permitted development will be exempt and biodiversity gain sites where habitats are being enhanced for wildlife already and for any small-scale self-build and custom house building. And then we have small sites, which the policy 
uh, is currently estimated to come into effect in 2024. This may change in the future. Now, when we say small sites, um, this relates to residential developments of one to nine dwellings on a site less than uh, one hectare. Or if the number of dwellings is unknown, it will be for sites of less than 0.5 hectares. So small sites also consist of non-residential developments where the floor space is less than 1,000 square meters or where the site is less than one hectare. So we will have um, more information on biodiversity net gain later this year. So I will follow up with a part two uh, episode later this year. But this is what we know so far about um, this new legislation. So the key targets for biodiversity net gain are to um, in provide a minimum of 10% biodiversity net gain and to be calculated using the biodiversity metric and approval of a biodiversity gain plan. Then we have the habitat to be secured for at least 30 years via planning obligations or conservation covenants. Biodiversity net gains uh, to be delivered on-site, off-site or via a new statutory biodiversity credit scheme and the National Register for Net Gain Delivery um, sites uh, should be developed. So who will the biodiversity net gain affect? So it will apply to land managers, developers and the local planning authority. Uh, so land managers can get paid for selling biodiversity units if they own land in England uh, or they have consent to register land if they're not the landowner and have a legal agreement for the land they're registering. Then when it comes to developers, this will affect them by trying to avoid loss of habitat to a piece of land they plan to develop uh, on. Uh, if uh, the loss of habitat is unavoidable, then they must uh, create habitat either on site or off site. Now, when we say on site, this means on the land the development work is carried out on and off site is either their own land away from the development site or that they have bought units from a land manager. Now, if the land uh, on-site or off-site can't be used, then they must buy statutory credits from the government and provide evidence for using this option. Uh, this option must be a last resort because um, under this option, the government will invest in habitat creation elsewhere in England and developers may be uh, able to combine all three options if they want to, to make up their biodiversity net gain. And they must discuss this with an ecologist as they will need to prove why they can't use one option and gain approval from the local authority before starting uh, building work. Uh, and then when it comes to local authorities, they will have to approve uh, the biodiversity net gain plans for development work before it starts. So how will biodiversity net gain be calculated? So applicants will be required to carry out calculations using the biodiversity metric, which in essence is a metric to assess an area's value of wildlife and compares the habitat found on a site before and after development and how the development will change the biodiversity value of a site. So this strategy and calculation will need to accompany the development planning application and the metric can be used 
to assess the biodiversity unit value of an area of land, demonstrate biodiversity net gains or losses in a consistent way, measure and account for direct impacts on biodiversity, and compare proposals for a site, such as creating or enhancing uh, habitat on-site or off-site. Uh, and as mentioned, these can be delivered um, on-site or off-site, and the metric can be used by ecologists, developers, planning authorities, communities, uh, and land managers. So this metric is to be used for land and intertidal habitats, which include hedgerows, rivers, and streams. And it assesses existing habitats and planned new habitats created by development or land change. So the information that will be required for the calculation includes the type of habitat on or off site, the habitat size, the habitat condition, meaning how well is the habitat functioning, and the habitat's significance. So is the habitat a local priority or located in priority area for habitat creation or enhancement? So, so that is for uh, all developments. But when we come to do small sites um, later next year, small sites will have to use the small sites metric, which is essentially a simplified version of the biodiversity metric and will be specifically designed for use on on-site biodiversity net gain and will not be suitable to calculate losses and gains off-site. Now, circling back to land managers that will be affected by biodiversity net gain. So as mentioned, land managers can sell land to developers for them to gain the biodiversity units they require to meet the requirements of um, biodiversity net gain off-site. Now, when we say biodiversity units, uh, these are calculated using the size of the habitat, its quality and location, and land managers should use the biodiversity metric to calculate how many biodiversity units they can generate from their site. So land managers can be landowners, farmers, estate owners, local authorities, uh, habitat bank operators, facilities or property or estate managers, land agents or um, land advisors. So they can also choose to sell off-site biodiversity units in partnership with a local authority or through a habitat back operator or through a broker or trading platform. They can't, however, sell their land if the land is required for restocking trees, marine licensing or for remediation under the environmental damage regulations. So land managers that have such land to sell will need to register it as a biodiversity gain site from November 2023. So if a developer is developing a site and can't achieve the necessary biodiversity net gain on site, they will need to seek offsite opportunities by potentially buying biodiversity units from land managers so the offsite opportunities must be identified with priority given to local enhancements as being as close to the prospective site as possible, as the biodiversity metric penalizes proposals if the distance of offsite units are too far. So basically, um, developers will need to find the closest uh, area they can use for biodiversity enhancements and not um, have it somewhere in, diff in a different city, for example. Um, so information on 
on the off-site and on-site measures will need to be included uh, within the biodiversity net gain information that will be submitted with the planning application known as the on-site off-site proximity principle or spatial hierarchy uh, and then you have uh, statutory credits which may be purchased only as a final option in circumstances where biodiversity net gain can't be delivered on-site or off-site and with this scenario as mentioned local authorities use the credits to invest um, in other sites to enhance biodiversity. So for off-site to count towards a development net gain requirement, off-site biodiversity gains will need to be secured through a conservation covenant or planning obligation and register it before the final approval of the biodiversity gain plan. Now, if the measures are to be carried out on-site, then architects will need to plan ahead since the measures required to meet biodiversity net gain will need to be secured for delivery within 12 months of the development starting on site or at a maximum to be in place prior to occupation. So architects will need to therefore put together a clear timeline setting out the delivery of the biodiversity net gain. And as part of their role, architects will also need to identify opportunities to enhance uh, local nature recovery sites through consultations with local authorities as the Environment Act mandates the creation of spatial plans known as local nature recovery strategies, which will be used to help inform uh, how and where biodiversity net gain should be delivered. And they will prioritize and map out proposals for specific locations that will help uh, restore nature and provide broader environmental benefits. So to encourage off-site enhancements in areas of greatest benefit, the biodiversity metric suggests a 15% increase in units generated in the locations proposed by the local nature recovery strategies. It should be noted here that any land delivering biodiversity net gain will need to be managed, monitored and reported on for the duration of the net gain agreement, which is a minimum of 30 years. So what should be considered when selecting a site and for the pre-application stage? So it's key to consult the mitigation hierarchy, the biodiversity metric and the spatial risk uh, multiplier and proximity principle to determine the value of the site's proximity. So I already covered the biodiversity metric and proximity principle. Let's now look at the mitigation hierarchy. So the mitigation hierarchy is the sequential approach to addressing potential harm to biodiversity. So biodiversity net gain relates only to habitat, whereas mitigation hierarchy is applied to all aspects of ecology and potential for avoidance, minimization, mitigation and offsetting impacts on species will also need to be considered outside of a biodiversity net gain approach. So when referring to avoidance, this means avoiding to evade or reduce biodiversity impacts through site selection and layout. In terms of minimizing, this means taking the necessary measures to reduce the duration, intensity and or extent of impacts to biodiversity by modifying the project design and strategy as required to avoid any adverse harm to biodiversity. For example, indicating retained vegetation such as trees 
or through limiting the size of the site and protecting key areas. Now, in terms of mitigation, this means improving and or protecting the condition of on-site habitat or an affected area, including enhancing, restoring or regenerating biodiversity on site, for example, through replanting, tree planting, uh, grassland and habitat quality restoration and so on. And lastly, in terms of offsetting, compensation needs to be considered for any residual, adverse, unavoidable impacts after implementation of on-site or off-site um, strategies. For example, by using the biodiversity net gain offsetting mechanisms, including the creation or enhancement of off-site habitats. So for planning applications, uh, you will need a full biodiversity net gain plan uh, to be submitted before the project's commencement stages alongside the biodiversity metric assessment. Then the mitigation hierarchy will need to include evidence of the steps taken to avoid and or minimize adverse biodiversity impacts covering the steps just mentioned of avoidance, minimization, mitigation and offsetting. And that covers what uh, we know uh, up to this point about this new policy. Uh, as I mentioned, once the legislation is released later this year, uh, I will follow up with a part two, just expanding on exactly what the policy entails and what we need to do as architects uh, when submitting planning applications to also be able to advise our clients accordingly. So to sum up what I discussed today, Biodiversity net gain will come into force in November 2023 for all sites, apart from exempt sites and small sites, for which the policy will come into force in April 2024, which is an estimated time frame at the moment. Uh, biodiversity net gain is an approach to development and or land management that aims to leave the natural environment in a measurably better state than it was beforehand. Uh, the targets for biodiversity net gain include a minimum 10% biodiversity net gain and to be calculated using the biodiversity metric and approval of a biodiversity gain plan. Uh, habitat should be secured for at least 30 years via planning obligations or conservation covenants. Uh, it should also be delivered on-site, off-site or via a new statutory biodiversity credit scheme and national register for net gain delivery sites. On-site uh, includes all land within the boundary of a project. Off-site includes all land outside the on-site boundary, regardless of ownership. Uh, this policy will apply to land managers, developers and the local planning authority. When it comes to the biodiversity metric, this will be used to measure the biodiversity net gain and will be based on assessing an area's value to wildlife and to compare the habitat found on a site before and after development and how the development will change the biodiversity value of a site. And finally, for planning applications, a full biodiversity net gain plan is required to be submitted alongside the biodiversity metric assessment. And that concludes today's episode. If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. This is an educational show 
aimed at supporting the future generation of architects. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more Part 3 with me time.